I read a story about a young man who had been arrested for a crime. And he had been involved in many uh, deeds of misconduct and had pretty much broken many laws. And it seemed like he was in a lifestyle of rebellion, a lifestyle of crime. But this time he committed a crime and he was sent to prison. In the process of the interview, they asked him how he had entered into a life of crime. And he said these words, I had these friends. Can we all relate? We all have those friends, so-called friends, that they either tear us down or they pick us up. We all have those type of friends. Well, today I want to talk about the importance of friendship. And there's no better story in the Bible than that of the friendship of Jonathan and David. It is a great story of, of two individuals that, that come together and form a friendship that will last a lifetime. Go open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. This is part three in our series on developing a heart for God. We want to look at the life of David and see what David did that uh, added to or helped him develop a heart for God. Because that's our desire. Our desire is to have a heart for God. And we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 and 4. Uh, and in that verse, I'm going to give you three foundational truths that are important for true friendship. We're going to look at these words under the heading, have the right friends. And remember, the context is developing a heart for God. If you're going to develop a heart for God, you got to have the right friends. you got to surround yourself around the right individuals so you can have that kind of heart. Let's look at what is said in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. After David finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. This event in 1 Samuel 18 happens right after David had defeated the giant Goliath. He had, he had won a victory and he was carrying on a conversation with Saul the king. Jonathan is there, he's either in the room or he's outside the tent and he's listening to the conversation that Saul is having with David. And after it's all, you know, he, as he's listening to, to, the, to that taking place, he hears how, how David gave God the credit for the victory, how God had guided David through his life, and how, how everything that David did, he gave victory, he gave the glory to God alone. And so they, uh, Jonathan found an individual that which he could relate. He found an individual that he could, he could connect to. And in these opening verses of, of, Genesis, of, of Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18, we, we see this relationship is one that's going to last a lifetime. They're drawn together. Uh, have you ever had a friend like that? That you have a friend that you just immediately you hit it off and you know, man, we're going to be friends forever. Uh, that's the kind of friend we're talking about. They hit it off. Let me give you three principles. The first is a, a, a tr true friendship is a spiritual relationship. Jonathan reaches out to David. David does not reach out to Jonathan. Look at verse 1. Jonathan became one in spirit with David. 
What was it that drew Jonathan to David? Why was it that he was drawn to him? Well, he'd, he'd heard how David gave credit to God. He had watched David and he'd watched David slay Goliath. He heard David carry on that conversation and he saw in him, he said, there's something about him that draws me to him. I see that we can have a connection. I see that David is a man who loves God and he loves the things of God. He said, I can relate to that. This is a man I want to have a relationship with. We know from 1 Samuel chapter 14 that Jonathan also loved God and he loved the things of God. And so Jonathan was drawn to him. He saw in David someone that shared his common interests, shared his common values, shared his common vision. He said, we can be friends. Here's a principle I want you to get from, from this, this idea, from this relationship. Get your friends from among believers. Get your friends from among believers. Get your friends from among people who love the Lord and love the things of the Lord. A friendship is not genuine unless it is based upon a spiritual relationship. You know why I say that? Because if you're a true friend, you will not let your friend go to hell. If you're a true friend, you will tell your friend about Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual relationship is what it's talking about. Gabby and I have, we have friends all over the world. We have friends uh, uh, all over the country. Last night, I, one of my friends from Guatemala who's now living in El Salvador was texting me uh, or instant messaging me trying to get some information uh, for somebody. And we haven't seen each other in 16 years, but he still contacts me for those type of things. We have friends all over the world, and I know that, that I could contact those friends and they pray with me and, and they would support me. It wasn't that I loved, you know, I loved them more than I did the other people. It's just that with them, our hearts were knit together. You know, I found in them that they loved God and they loved the things of God. In that context, they loved God and they loved His church. And, and we had these things in common and we, and we could pray together, we could work together, we, we could serve together. We, our hearts were knit together. We have that in the world in which we live today. David and Jonathan were on the same page. Uh, they, they weren't just in the same book. They were in the same page. They had a mutual love for God, and they had a mutual love for the things of God. We should strive to have those type of friends, people that have the same values, people that have the, have the same love for God and the same love for the things of God that, that we have. Now, let me give you some examples to illustrate how strong a spiritual connection that David and Jonathan had. Turn over to 1 Samuel, verse 19. Let me give you, as you're turning there, let me give you the context of this passage. David has risen to the height of popularity in the land of Israel. Matter of fact, he's risen to be so popular that the women are singing songs about David. Oh, Saul has slain his hundreds. David has slain his thousands. And they're beginning to, to really uh, draw attention to David and what he's done. And in this context uh, of David's rise in popularity, King Saul begins to get a little jealous of David. And he begins to, to, to uh, be threatened by David. 
chapter 18, verse 30 says that David's name became well known in the area of Israel. So because of his popularity, Saul became jealous and he seeks to kill David. He saw one time he tried to kill David himself. Another time he tried to put David in a situation where David would be killed. David was made a leader of the army of Israel, one of the leaders in the army. So it's in this context that we pick up the story. And in that context, Saul is going to enlist his son Jonathan to kill David. So Jonathan speaks up uh, for his, uh, his friend David in verse 4. Look at what he says. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. Stop right there. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. That's another strong attribute of a friend. A true friend will not abandon you when difficult times come upon you. A true friend is there. That's another mark of a true friend. Listen, if you have a friend that speaks differently about you in public than he does when, when alone, he's not a true friend. A true friend will always be true to you no matter what. You see, a true friend sees inside your heart. He knows what's going on inside your heart. Some people, all they see is, is, is the externals. They don't know what you're made of. They don't know your heart. And all they see is externals. So therefore, they, can't, they pass judgment upon you without really knowing you. But a true friend, he knows you. He knows your inmost being, and he sticks by you. He hangs with you in those situations. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Here's what that verse means. A true friend will not abandon you when difficult times come your way. They will stand by you. They will support you. You need a friend like that, don't you? Don't you need a friend that will stand by you no matter what? No matter how hard it gets going, no matter how difficult it may be. So Jonathan gives this beautiful speech to his dad. And Jonathan had a delicate balancing act here. Think about Jonathan for a moment. Uh, he had love for his friend David, but he had loyalty to his father. Uh, he, he, he was never disloyal to his father, Saul. Never. As a matter of fact, David will say later on about Jonathan that Saul and Jonathan were not divided in life. And we learn all the way to his death, they were together. They were loyal. But listen, he loved his father enough to speak the truth about his friend David. That's a friend. A friend is willing to speak the truth, even in spite of what it might mean. I notice what he says in verses 4 through 5 as we pick it up. He said, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He's not wronged you. And what has he done? And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. Now look at this last verse, this last phrase, because that's the key to David. Once again, underline it, highlight it, make a note about it. He said, the Lord won a great victory for all Israel. And you saw it and were glad. You saw it and you were glad. Jonathan acknowledges God gave him the victory. He acknowledges that God is with David in a way that we can't quite seem to understand. And then he reminds his father, hey, Dad, you saw it with your own eyes. You witnessed it. And you saw it. It was a great victory for all of Israel. You saw it and you were rejoiced. You were glad that it happened. 
The spiritual connection between David and God is obvious in this passage. And so the connection between Jonathan and David is based upon a spiritual relationship. Why? They shared things in common. They had a love for God and they had a love for the things of God. In this context, they had a love for God and had a love for the nation of Israel. They had that commonality with them. We should all strive to have the right friends that are built upon spiritual connections. Listen, I'm not saying you can't have a friend that's not, that's not a non-believer. But I'm telling you, your best friends, uh, your, your, your most reliable friends should come from a fellowship of believers. They should come from people that love God and love the things of God. Why is that? Because they will always steer you in the right direction. They will always build you up and not try to tear you down. They will try to hold you accountable to the things of God and hold you accountable to God. Now go back over to verse 18. Remember I told you that true friendship is a spiritual relationship, but also true friendship is a special relationship. Look at verse 3. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. I love that. He loved him as himself. Long before Jesus gave us the command to love one another as you love yourself, Jonathan was demonstrating it in his own life. That's a great illustration of what Jesus was trying to teach in the New Testament. He loved David. And so because he loved David, he made a covenant with David. Now this idea of a covenant, it's foreign to us. Uh, we, we can't grasp that. But basically it means that they entered into an agreement. It's a mutual agreement that they had with one another. Jonathan takes the initiative. There's no details given as to what this covenant was. Uh, we can only speculate, but obviously it, in, it implied mutual loyalty and mutual friendship. Why? Because they loved the Lord and they loved the things of the Lord. A friendship is, is, is not genuine unless it's that special kind. A friendship is a commitment. It's a commitment to one another that you make. The fact that jo Jonathan initiated the relationship is important, I think, it, to really understand this situation. Consider the context. Jonathan is heir to the throne. He's supposed to be the next king by virtue of his status. He's a prince. He's wealthy. He, he's popular. And he's powerful. Matter of fact, a case can be drawn that the people love Jonathan more than they did King Saul. Who's David. David's a lowly shepherd boy. He comes from an insignificant family in Bethlehem. They had nothing in common. The only thing they had in common is what? They love for God and their love for the things of God. That's the only thing they had in common. And so Jonathan, at the very least, is affirming, David, you are equal with me. We are on the same footing. There's no class warfare there's no family disputes that, that go on that could break it down. Jonathan broke down the barriers that were supposed to exist between those type of individuals. Now, how deep was his agreement? How deep was the agreement that Jonathan and David make with one another? Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 8. Now, let me give you the context as you're turning there. King Saul's jealousy over David has risen to new heights, and now he set out to purposely kill David. 
And, and so David is, is having this, this conversation with, um, <clears throat> with uh, Jonathan. And, and, he, and he says in verse 8, if I can find my spot here, verse 8. As, you know, as for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Don't pass this off as insignificant. Here's what David is doing. David said, Jonathan, I trust you with my life. Now imagine the depth of the commitment. David is giving Jonathan permission to kill him. Think about Jonathan. Hmm. If I kill him, he's out of the way. If I kill David, I'll be the next king in Israel. David will be eliminated. David will no longer be there. But David willingly submits himself. He said, Jonathan, if I've done wrong, don't let your dad kill me. Kill me right now. He is giving permission for Jonathan to kill him. But they had such a special relationship that David could trust Jonathan and do what was right. He could trust him. So they come up with a plan. They devise a plan to find out what's going on in Saul's household. We pick up the story in verses 14 through 17 in this passage. Jonathan's speaking to David. He says, but show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. There's that phrase again. He loved him as he loved himself. And this relationship, this friendship lasted their entire lives. But not only did it last their entire lives, it extended to their family. That he says, show unfailing kindness. So, so, so he sets out to show this unfailing kindness later in life. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is a long time later in this passage. David's reign in Jerusalem has been strengthened. His enemies have been conquered. Jonathan's been dead for a long time. And so David asked his advisors this question in chapter 9, verse 1. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And so they begin telling him, say, well, yeah, David, there is somebody. There's a, there's a man, a young man, who at the age of five, he was crippled from a fall. That's Jonathan's son. And notice what David says. They bring him to him. David orders, bring the son to me. And imagine what's going through my feeble chest mind. Oh, my goodness. I'm about to be annihilated here. I'm about to be killed. Notice what David says in verse 7. He says, don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. You see, true friendship does not end when people are away. True friendship does not end 
just because people are no longer together. David loved Jonathan so much that he did not forget his commitment to him. And it carried over to the children of Jonathan. That's what it means to be a true friend. It doesn't stop when you're away, but it continues no matter the circumstances. I have friends today that I could call and they'd stop what they were doing. They'd pray for me. They'd pray for my family. And they wouldn't just pray for me one time. They'd pray for me. He said, Bruce, you're on my prayer list. They will pray for me. They will support me. They will weep when I weep. They, we, we share those things together. Are you that kind of friend? Are you that kind of friend to, to someone? You see, if you're going to develop a heart for God, you've got to have friends that love God and love the things of God. Because those are the type of friends that will build you up and not bring you down. There's enough in this world that brings you down. We need something in this world that will bring us up. We need, us, we need friends like that. Now turn back over to verse eight, to chapter 18. True friendship is a spiritual relationship. True friendship is a special relationship. Finally, true friendship is a sacrificial relationship. Look at verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So Jonathan unrobed from his princely garments and took us even down to the tunic. I guess he's sitting there in, 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 his, in his tidy whities I guess. You know, uh, I guess. He, he strips down, takes off everything, his robe, his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. What a pure heart that Jonathan must have had. The crown prince, the next in line to be king over Israel. He looks at this unlikely hero and he strips down in front of him and then gives him his possessions. Now, Jonathan was a hero in his own right. You don't believe it. Go back and read uh, 1 Samuel 14. He had m probably many more exploits by this time than David ever had. David's got one victory. You know, he's got, a, a, he's got this one victory with Goliath. Jonathan was a hero. Jonathan was a prince. He could have looked at David and said, this guy's my competition. This guy's my rival to the throne. But he didn't do that. He gave up his power. He gave up his prestige. And he allowed himself with David. And the seal of the covenant that the two had, had made was powerful. He gave him gifts. And these gifts are, are not just insignificant gifts. They have, a, they have a profound significance because what these gifts do, the, 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 the robe and the tunic prepare David for the proper place in the courts. He had to dress a certain way. So John said, here, this will get you set up because why? He's not going to leave the, Saul's house. You got to be dressed appropriately if you're going to be, be that. I guess it could be like a, a preacher, a country preacher going to First Baptist Church, Dallas. You got to wear a suit. You got to wear a suit. Okay, you're going to have to buy me one. Uh, I guess that would be the analogy that you got to be prepared for the task that you're about to take. But not only that, he also gave him the tools for battle. What did David have? He had a slingshot. He said, David, that ain't going to work, man. You got to have a sword. You got to have a bow. You got to have all these other things to go into the battle. 
So he gave him all these things. Preparing for his role as, as a, uh, in the household of Saul. Because remember, he's about to marry Saul's daughter. Because that's one of the prizes of the victory that he got from Goliath. So he's going to be a part of the family. You got to dress the part. You got to act the part. But not only that, you're going to be a leader. You got to have the proper equipment to do it. It was costly. Jonathan gave these things up. But those gifts that he gave was followed with faithfulness, unselfishness, and sacrifice on his part. Friendships are costly. They cost you something. And they don't cost you anything. It's not really a friendship. It's costly. Jonathan must have known that David was anointed king. That's the only thing I can figure out. He must have got word from it through the grapevine. You know, maybe they were Baptists and, and the, the prayer requests resounded throughout the, uh, the thing. You'll catch that when you go home, okay? Uh, those, we call that gossip, okay? Uh, but we disguise it in the, in the name of a prayer. I have a prayer request for Brother John. Uh, you know, and then we tell about the story. No, 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 don't tell me. I just, I'll pray for him. I don't want to know. But news must have traveled. Maybe he suspected that David was being groomed for something bigger. But whatever it is, it was a sacrifice. What an example. Let me show you what it looks like in chapter 20 once again. Turn over to chapter 20. Again, the context. Remember what the context is. Saul is trying to kill David. He sees David as a rival to the throne. So he says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to do everything I can to kill David. We pick up the story in verses 30 through 33. David and, David and uh, Jonathan have come up with a scheme. What they're going to do is David is supposed to be at a meal for, uh, at the king's house. And at that meal, Saul's probably going to try to kill David. And so they come up with a scheme that they say, okay, David, you're supposed to be there, but we're going to make arrangements that you're going to be away. Uh, away. And so Jonathan says that David is away because he needed to spend time with his family. Now we pick up the story in verse 30. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Try that dads with your boys. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now sin and bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. What a tremendous sacrifice that Jonathan did on behalf of David. He was willing to face the wrath of his father and even an attempt upon his own life to save David. I'm reminded of something that Jesus said. Greater love hath no man than this, that he's willing to lay down his life for his friend. Long before Jesus uttered those words, Jonathan was living it out in the flesh. He was living it out. How many friends do you have like that? How many friends do you have that are willing to lay down their life? Now, they may not physically lay down their life. But how many friends do you have that are willing to lay down their ambition 
to lay down their position, to lay down their status for you? How many of them? Because that's what real friends look like. Listen, real friends, they go to war for you. Real friends do battle for you. They stand by you and they support you and they defend you. You can count on a true friend. Do you have a friend like that? You have one like that? Now before I close, I think it's important that I point something out in this passage. Everything we've talked about in verses 18 to 20, which is this the Cliff Notes version of 18 to 20. Everything was highlighted, those four verses, and how that was illustrated in the life of David and Jonathan. Everything that's happened in chapter 18 to 20 all hinges from Saul's anger toward David. Saul was jealous of David, of David's popularity, of David's rise, and eventually David's becoming king. The minute David received praise, the minute David received recognition for all of his accomplishments, Saul became jealous and plotted to kill David. Listen, jealousy is a terrible thing. Jealousy leads you to imagine things. Your imagination leads you to make wrong conclusions. Wrong conclusions lead you to get very hostile and filled with animosity. That's what happened to Saul. Saul became jealous. He began to imagine all the, these, these things going on. Then he became hostile, and he was filled with animosity and looked to kill David. It's a terrible thing to let jealousy get in your heart. It's very hard to rejoice in the blessings of others. It's hard to rejoice at something good in someone else's life. It's hard to shout at somebody else's meeting, isn't it? When they're getting all the glory and they're getting all the praise, and it's hard to say, that's my friend. You guys say, oh, man, I wish I, I wish I could have got that. I wish I got that award for 52 days straight, 52 Sundays straight in Sunday school. I wish I would have got that. I only got 48. Yeah, don't you wish you had 48? It's hard to shout at somebody else's meeting. But that's what God wants us to do. David's victories that he achieved, they were for the people. They were for the nation of Israel. They weren't for David personally. Oh, David received something for it, but it was for the people of Israel. It was for King Saul. He was the Saul. He was the beneficiary of all the victories that David brought to him. But the Bible says that Saul had departed from the will of God. And because he departed from the will of God, he could not celebrate victories that bless the people of God. Listen, my friends, don't let jealousy get into your heart. Don't let jealousy overcome you. Because when you have jealousy in your heart, it will cause you to do things you don't want to do. It will lead you to be miserable, and it will lead to heartache. And you know what? It'll keep you from being a friend. It'll keep you from being a true friend. As I close, I just could not let this go by. I had to say it. The Bible says that a true friend is one who will love you at all times 
loves you as he loves himself, and he's willing to lay down his life for you. You know who that reminds me of? Jesus. Jesus loves you. You know why I know? Because the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves you. And he willingly laid down his life so that you could have a relationship with your creator. He did it willingly because he loved you that much. He loved you so much that with one hand he reached out and he embraced the hands of a holy God. And with the other hand, he reached out and embraced the hands of sinful humanity. And Jesus Christ bridged the gap between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And he longs to bring you into a loving relationship with his heavenly Father. He wants to offer you forgiveness of your sins because your sins separate you from God. But he longs to be a friend to you. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs he bears. Do you have a friend like Jesus? Jesus wants to reunite you to, his, to the creator. And then when you get reunited to your creator through forgiveness of sins, you know what you discover? You don't discover a creator anymore. You discover a father who loved you so much that he gave his son to die for you. That's what you discover. Jesus can be that friend that you need. Maybe you've never had a friend like that. Oh, I'd love to introduce you to my Jesus. I'd love to introduce you to my friend. I'd love to introduce you to the one that will never leave me nor forsake me. When all, everyone else turns their back, Jesus will have my back. And he loves you with an unfailing love. It's a special love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a spiritual love. He loves you. In a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. We can tell you how to come to Jesus, but you got to come. You got to come. Jesus will not make you do something you don't want to do. We have this, this, we have this tremendous curse. Maybe it's a curse, a blessing. I'm just, I don't know. Uh, the verdict is uh, it's called free will. That God will never make you do something you don't want to do. And you have free will to choose or reject. It's my hope and my prayer that you will exercise your free will today and say, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm coming home to Jesus. Would you stand with me as I lead us in prayer?